Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest fire news to hit within the last two weeks. I'm your host, Inanna Hankey, and joining me today is the panel, Chief Jeff Buchanan and Chief Bob Horton, and we are so excited to have a special guest with us, Dr. Kelly Morgan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Dr. Kelly Morgan is doing great, great, great work in Southern Nevada right now. She's been working with the North Las Vegas Fire Department for a number of years and then took on a dual role to assist Las Vegas Fire and Rescue as they try to push to the future. She's brought a whole heck of a lot of progressive thinking and just great imagination, and she really has a care for firefighters. So we're really interested to hear what her perspectives are as as we talk through and chop some cool discussion up today. Our topic today is regarding mental health and first responders. We all know that this is a very difficult job at times. The article we're pulling from is South King County Fire Chiefs Developing Behavioral Health Program. 11 fire agencies from South King County, Washington, are currently in the process of creating a behavioral health unit for its crews due to signs of escalating mental health crises in firefighting. This could be firefighters retiring early, departments losing members, members experiencing PTSD, When firefighters don't receive the mental health aid for problems at work, issues like alcoholism, relationship struggles, and general poor well-being tend to manifest at home. It's no secret as well that the nature of calls for fire service responders is changing. Several calls could involve children in very unfortunate situations, shootings, suicides, and it gets very difficult to see these kinds of things on a more than normal basis. This unit is still in its preliminary stages of planning, but something I really liked about the sentiment behind this program was that the firefighters do a very thorough physical decontamination after responding to a fire, but are they doing a good mental decontamination after seeing some really difficult things on the job? Jeff, could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, first of all, Nana, I love the setup. Uh, my personal opinion and BOB and I have talked about this a bunch. We think that this is one of the biggest, it is the biggest problem facing the fire service right now is the behavioral, psychological, and emotional health of the men and women that are serving our community every day. I love this article. Um, across the country, you're seeing different solutions trying to be put in play to battle this. And in uh, Arizona recently, I think they just passed legislation that gives police officers and firefighters, public safety individuals, 30 visits to a behavioral health specialist in, in certain situations. Uh, in, in Nevada, and a couple of years ago, there was great work done uh, with the uh, IAFF, uh, the PFFN, I should say, and uh, so many other groups to try to get enabling legislation for post-traumatic stress injury, uh, which is important to note that secondary to disorder for uh, workers' comp benefits. But here's the deal. We don't know what's working right now. There's a big problem. And what I love about this article is that they're trying to get their arms around the situation to take a different approach. One, one approach is regionalizing. Together, any group is stronger than just one singularly. So I think regionalization is, is, is critical to trying to take away, solve this really, really significant problem. Uh, 
And number two, getting a consultant that with the mindset, okay, we're going to try something new. We're going to try something completely different. We don't think that it's being done anywhere in the country. Let's focus on something new that we think we can try. And, and so I love it. I love the approach. I love the focus from the consultant. I love the fact that they're regionalizing this effort. It is in every jurisdiction across the country. And this is our police, our law enforcement brothers and sisters as well. They're facing the same issue. There's too many psychological, behavioral, emotional emergencies that are going on with public safety in general. And I, and I, and I love this approach. And I'm so glad that we have Dr. Morgan on the show to share her perspectives on what you think this article is going to be able to achieve and some of the things you're seeing in Southern Nevada, some of the weight on the men and women in the fire agencies that you're working with, that they're, you know, that they're, they're grappling with. How do you think an approach like this could, could benefit? Well, I I think that, you know, really kind of finding a team is, is, is really key Um, because not every firefighter or not every public safety officer is going to connect with the same person. So I think that you need to kind of broaden the group and kind of understand that you need people that are reflective of all of the different types of people across your agency. You know, it's not just firefighters on the floor, it's dispatch who's listening to the calls, who's having to walk people through things. Like we can't forget our communications partners, you know, can you imagine being on the other end of that, of, of some of these calls and trying to have to listen and walk a family member through that? Like that's almost as traumatic, if not more traumatic sometimes than when you probably get on scene. We need to, to recognize all of the different people who suffer from PTSD, anxiety, depression, all of the things that kind of come along with it. I think one of the other big things too that we, that we need to talk about is destigmatizing again, mental health. And a, and a lot of public safety officers are addicted to alcohol because that is their off button. I think that any number of us who have worked in emergency medicine, public safety, law enforcement, military, like we use substances sometimes to numb things. And, and so that's how that kind of piece goes. And, and what I'm getting at is that people see mental illness or they see PTSD, depression, suicidality as a weakness of moral character. And I think we need to stop that completely because it has nothing to do with your fortitude as a human, and it has everything to do with actual brain health. And I think if we can reformulate the way we think about things in terms of our brain as an organ, and when that brain isn't functioning as well, we have anxiety, we have PTSD. It is a blood flow problem sometimes. Um, If you guys are familiar, I have just recently learned about the AMEN clinics, They have several of them across the country. Uh, One's in Orange County. They do basically a functional PET scan, I believe is what it is. And they're looking at blood flow to different areas of the brain at times of rest, at types of stress. And different areas light up when you're suffering from PTSD, depression, or they are darker, meaning that there is decreased blood flow. So I think if one of the ways that we can start to help people understand that mental health is brain health, is it the health of an organ, just the same way is a heart attack and coronary artery disease is a problem with the heart. It's a blood flow problem to the heart. And if we're saying decreased blood flow to certain areas of the brain is what is causing you to have anxiety, to have PTSD, to have interrupted sleep patterns, which you know decrease your, your ability to, your coping mechanisms, your ability to sleep, your ability to interact, your irritability, we can understand that just like you would take a medication for your blood pressure, 
you need to do specific things to help your mental health as well, or your brain health as well. If, if we can take out mental and say brain health, then we have reformulated it into this is an organ that needs to be taken care of, just like we take care of our heart, our lungs, our liver, and everything else. And I think destigmatizing that then makes people much more willing to accept treatment in the form of, of working through those processes that can help retrain your, your neurotransmitters and, and get better, you know, levels, whether that's serotonin, dopamine, and in more healthy manners through things like exercise, meditation, and therapy. This is such a, uh, a huge issue that's emerged across the fire service. And because we have done such a poor job of navigating this for, for the decades prior, but here we are today. And I applaud South King County and that regionalized, regionalized approach that Jeff was just talking about for uh, doing something right. Because we don't know, we don't know enough and we don't know enough about what works, but what we do know is people are trying and they're implementing and instituting various interventions because this is a, this is a wide spectrum between somebody who's in, you know, maybe some type of a acute mental health crisis and needs a certain resource to help after an event has occurred all the way to how do we onboard folks into the fire service with a resilient, you know, resilient mentality. I want to cover a couple of things. Number one, something that's really impressed me that I've noticed out West is you are seeing the insurance carriers that provide workers comp, at least in the state of Oregon. And I'm sure it's happening in other states as well. I do believe in Washington where this program is that the insurance carriers are engaged with the professional firefighters and the professional fire chiefs uh, associations on trying to be part of a solution. Right. And, and, and typically when, you know, cause there is an insurance component to both what Jeff said, that's the availability of getting resources paid for uh, through whatever your coverage is in your organization or your health insurance coverage. Uh, but there's also going to be, downstream effects of firefighters who have covered mental challenges like post-traumatic stress disorder, which in more and more states with bipartisan support in their states, uh, that there is a presumptive PTSD law, which essentially means if if you're diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, that it's presumed to have been caused by you having been a first responder. And what we're seeing it, that just is atypical, unfortunately, it is atypical because anytime you involve insurance, it just makes it a little more complicated that it creates separation between the person who needs the help and like Dr. Morgan, the providers who are there to, to provide the help. It sometimes gets messy when there's insurance. I just want to give a nod to the insurance carriers for being part of this solution. Number two is this, is this energy and effort towards building the resilient firefighter to understanding this better, to not just sort of accept that uh, or victimizing along with the stigma of saying, you know, oh, you're, you're sick and therefore, right. And that isn't necessarily the case. I don't want to dismiss when it is the case, uh, when somebody is, is sick, but the point I'm trying to get at is we all struggle. Right. And, and I, and I'm echoing the words of Josh Goldberg, one of the co-founders of struggle. Well, struggle. Well is a, is a huge partner of the Western fire chiefs. And we're really proud of what the work that they're doing. And that's to really get far upstream in in this issue and, and josh goldberg quoting him says like we're talking about training not treatment training not treatment think about that for a second and they have a program you can look it up online strugglewell.com and it's been supported by FirstNet, powered by at&t where they've been able to receive some funding and their first response first nets first responder initiative to grow their their program which is called post-traumatic growth based struggle well training and it's expanded uh, outside, started in Florida and pilot in 2021, and it's expanded 
their initiative through Arizona, Virginia, Montana, and Oregon, and, and are, are looking to expand even broader to other states uh, where, and I encourage folks listening to engage with that, that program or others that are trying to do the same thing that are teaching firefighters how to uh, manage uh, the, the stress and challenges that come with being a, a first responder. I just wanted to make sure we got out there that the resource was in fact available and that, you know, wherever you are you know, organizationally, like have resources downstream when bad things happen, but please don't check the box because you have an EAP program. Like, and, I, and, I've, and I've heard too much of that over the last 10 years. Uh, well, we have EAP, we're, you know, we're addressing mental health issues, not, not working. The EAP model, we know, we, we may not know, Jeff, right, what's working. Uh, we do know it's not working. And just checking an EAP box is, is flat out not working. Bob, I gotta, I just gotta dive in here really quick because I think what you just, you just ticked on, was a policy problem, and one of those policies you just mentioned that they're focusing uh, on treatment. I'm sorry, training, not treatment. So I guess the question might be, from a policy level, you know, to all fire agencies, to law enforcement agencies, a policy should be train more psychological, behavioral, emotional resiliency, train more, and then you could avoid treatment. But in too many of these agencies, and I've been a victim of it myself, is you focus on some of these other aspects of the job, not to say that they're not important, I'm not saying that, but when is the last time you went into an agency and you saw psychological, behavioral, and emotional resiliency training once a month? It probably doesn't exist in many agencies, but maybe that's that's the policy change that needs to happen. Training, not treatment. That's a great point. I couldn't agree more. It's the preparation. It's everything that you're doing to prepare yourself to be able to perform at a given time. That's the key to it. That's the key to the physical health part of it. The mental health piece is just as important, if not more important, I think, than the physical health, because I think the mental health portion of it is a big portion of what drives people to retire early. Um, I, I think that those mental stresses, I think that the burnout rates, I think that the stress that gets brought home to families and, and the difficulties that come then in family life when you have a hard time separating the job from your home life um, are all things that, that we can do better. Um, and by putting in the work up front, people are going to be more successful when they hit those obstacles to be able to then see it through on the other side and figure out how to find strong, appropriate, constructive coping mechanisms so that they can work through whatever it is that they have encountered and then move on both with themselves and with their families so that they can enjoy the rest of their lives. So I, I just, I wanted to echo that. I think that the prevention is so important in every aspect. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Morgan, for joining us and for sharing your expertise. If you want to ask any questions about our podcast, you can contact us at fireheadlines at wfca.com. If you have a question, if you have insights, we would love to hear from you. Bob, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. Thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next week for more Fire Headlines. Fire Headlines.